good morning. This is Pastor Rob. Great to see you today. You know, one of the greatest joys of my life is, is watching my kids grow up. And there are certain moments in their lives where they're kind of, you know, they're difference makers, big events. One of them is when they learn to walk. They learn to, to get on about themselves, to get up off the ground and, and to go. And But there's this window of time when they're learning to walk that is a little bit anticlimactic, right? Or even a little bit scary where you just think they, oh, you're looking at them, watching them and they've pulled themselves up on the couch and they're holding on to it. And you're like, oh, they got this, man. They're almost there. If they just, if they knew they could do it, they could do it. If they were courageous enough to do it, they could do it. Or, or, or if they just, I know they're so close. And then two seconds later, you're going, oh, I guess they're not as close as I thought. Because they tripped over their own feet, they tumbled, and they fell. And, and I sometimes think, have this vision of God doing the same thing as we're learning to walk with him. Of him kind of grabbing the people, the, the angels in heaven and saying, Hey, look at, check this out. Rob's about to get it. He's almost got it. He almost understands. He's almost, oh, no. Guess not. Well, we'll try again tomorrow. Because <laughs> he, he, I trip and fall. I tumble. I do it often. And, you know, I, I, I try to learn to walk with God. I think we all learn to walk with God it, from many different sources. We learn by watching Jesus's example, learning uh, who he calls us to be and watching how that plays out in his life in the New Testament. We also learn from the, the mistakes of those who came before us, the wisdom of the Old Testament. That's just a history of, of the people of God learning almost to get it and then t- taking a tumble again and having to start over again tomorrow, right? Or learn again what it means to walk with God. We learn from watching others around us that we know have come to know God. And we, and we learn from Holy Spirit as he, as he counsels us, as he, as he reminds us as we're reading through his word and as we're going through our prayers and our daily lives, reminding us of who he is calling us to be and helping us to see more of who God is and what it means to walk with him. But it doesn't seem to stop us from tripping over our own feet. That doesn't seem to stop us from stumbling or falling over and just saying, you know what? Well, that's a bummer. I'm glad I was close to the ground. I got to start over again. As we read through our series right now, Unlikely Disciple, we're watching Peter as we're walking through his life and ministry doing really pretty much the same thing, right? This passionate, rough guy who is trying to chase God, but is tripping over his own feet repeatedly, often. And yet, God chooses him and molds him into a disciple that would declare who Jesus is to the rest of the world alongside another very small group of men that were also tripping over themselves on a regular basis. We trip over our own feet, as Peter did and we do, I think, when we get ahead of ourselves. We think we've got it all figured out, but there's a whole lot to coordinate there with learning to walk that we just don't realize as we're growing, as we're infants in our in our faith, or physically when you're learning to walk, you don't realize all the bits and pieces that go into that. You're figuring it out as you go, but sometimes you can get ahead of yourself, trip over your own feet and fall. 
sometimes we can uh, trip over our own feet in our faith because we get distracted, right? We chase squirrels, shiny things go by and we go, woo, and, and we lose track of, of pursuing Jesus or watching him walk so that we can learn to walk and mimic what he's doing or what he's calling us to. And last week, we kind of um, talked about Peter leaning a little too much on his own understanding sometimes, thinking he's got it all figured out. Um, Sometimes we do the same when really we shouldn't. Uh, Peter discovers this week in our text the hard way that tripping um, (laughs) in our walk with God, or in Peter's case, just doing a full-on header, Sometimes it happens, but it's how we respond to that that really matters. How we respond when we fall and to God's correction when we fall that matters. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 today. We're going to go through verses uh, 13 through 26. It's right after where we left off last week. Uh, It's a lot of verses, but we're going to do it in in chunks and bits and pieces. We're going to start with Matthew 16, 13 through 20. I'm gonna read out of the Christian Standard Bible. Read along with me. It says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say, or who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. And then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. Who do you say I am? That stands, I think, as the cornerstone, the foundation upon which all of our faith is built. If we choose to follow Jesus Christ, who we say he is, stands at that cornerstone. It's the foundation. It's Jesus was not just a great teacher, not just a philosopher, not not just a messenger of God, but God himself. Jesus was and is the Messiah, the source of our salvation and our Savior. He was and is God. He was and is our eternal King. And, And that's the question that each of us has to answer as we decide whether or not we're going to follow Jesus. And it's that foundation, that foundation of the faith. I think some have said over the years they felt like that makes Peter the foundation of the faith. I I disagree. I think it's that understanding that's the foundation of the faith. And Peter is experiencing it for himself right here, right now for the first time. And, And Jesus says, look, that didn't come from man, right? That didn't come from flesh and blood. You didn't make that up on your own. You didn't hear it from somewhere else. You heard that straight from God. And God is speaking through Peter something for the rest of us to hear and the rest of us to understand, knowing this is where our faith begins and where it lies. Who is God? Who is Jesus? He is our King and he is the Lord. But in this text, 
Peter is discovering it for the first time and Jesus is celebrating it with him. He is excited for him. He's saying, yes, yes, you've got it. Yes, you figured out who I am. You've seen through the darkness. You've allowed the light of God to illuminate your soul, to light it up and say, yes, yes, this is what's real. This is what's true. He's told Peter that that with this as his foundation, there's so much potential for what God wants to do and can do with him. We talked about last week that when he named Peter, he called him Petrus or a small pebble, a rock by the side of the road, Cephas, just what John would say in Aramaic, just a rock by the side of the road. But here in this verse, when he says, when he says you are Peter, he uses a different word. That word is Petra. It is a a large cliff, right? A huge immovable rock and a, and a rock that can be seen from miles away. There's no mistaking this rock. That's something very different. The scale is grander. And he said this foundation that we've, we've set, right? This foundation, hell can't push against this. Hell can't stop it. The gates of Hades will not overpower it. Nothing can stand in the way of it. And and he's given Peter an honor in this celebration. He's given him the keys, the keys to heaven, right? He's given him access to God. That, That connection with the Lord has been restored by recognizing this, by accepting Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Again, the cornerstone of what it means to be a follower of Christ. He is God is for you. God is with you. Make no mistake, he is celebrating. And the truth is that Jesus loves to speak through us and speak through Peter and celebrate those kinds of steps. Those are the moments in our faith that we strive for, I think, as followers of Christ, that we so reach for and want and love and and Jesus desires to celebrate those things with you when you take a step forward with him when you learn to walk more closely with God Jesus is there to celebrate with you as is the kingdom of heaven as a whole but Peter as he's about to experience and I think sometimes we have to be willing to experience is that while he wants to celebrate us with us when we take those steps He also loves us enough to correct us when we get ahead of ourselves, when we take steps we shouldn't take, when we do things we shouldn't do, and we need to be corrected. Our next text is, we're going to continue, it's going to be Matthew 16, 21 through 23, and it says this, From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things from the elders chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Well, uh, that tone changed quickly, didn't it? (laughs) Jesus went from celebrating with Peter to putting him in his place, right? Peter, who has taken these first steps into coming to know God, is trying to, he's get ahead of himself. He's trying to walk on his own, but he almost immediately trips. Uh, D.A. Carson says Peter's rebuke, the way he treats Jesus here, reveals how little he really understands of the Messiahship of Jesus. 
right? What it means to walk with him, to follow him, to go with him. And <laughs> the truth is that, that learning to walk with God is not a one-off deal. It's not a matter of, I've learned that he's the savior, that he's the Messiah, and that those are all the steps I need to take. The rest of it is a clear breeze. I think practically we know that, but I think we need to be reminded that there are times in life where God requires something from us if we're going to continue to learn to walk from him. And Jesus highlights some things here that I think are critical to what it means to be a disciple. See, learning to walk with God requires letting Jesus set the pace. I remember when I learned to drive a stick shift. I was in a, I learned in a parking lot um, in rural Virginia in the mountains. Uh, my dad and my mom took me out one day and they said, my dad said, we're going to teach you how to drive our car. It was a stick shift. And I learned, I spent about 20, 30 minutes in the, in the parking lot. I stalled it, I don't know, probably a hundred times. <laughs> Made mistakes, ground gears, did all kinds of silly things. And then my dad said, okay, it's time, it's time to take it out on the road, take it out on the hills. And remember, this isn't central Ohio where everything's flat and straight. There's lots of hills. And literally, if you don't make a turn, you are literally going off the cliff, You're down. And, and I can almost hear my mom saying, uh, Jack, he's not ready for that. <laughs> he's going to kill us. And and I can remember her sitting in the back seat the whole time and periodically I can hear her moving and shifting and, and periodically saying, Jack, seriously, this is a bad idea, Jack. And my dad just going, he's got it. He's going to get it. I'm right here with him. And I think that's the key to this. Had I just tried to learn to drive a stick and after 20, 30 minutes of saying, oh, I've got it figured out, I can go and do it. I'm ready to drive. Uh, I, I think I would have driven off a cliff. I think I would have blown up a car. I think I would have made mistakes that would have cost me something. I would have tripped and fallen. And, but Peter, here, upon, I think he's done that. I think upon hearing Jesus celebrate with him that, yes, he understands what it means to follow God or it means to, to know Jesus, to know he is your king and your Messiah and God incarnate, to know that. Peter's decided he's ready to walk solo. He's ready to drive solo, to take off and go. But at this point, he's really only learned how to move a foot. He was driving a car. He's really only learned what the clutch pedal does, not really how to use it. He's still trying to figure this out. The truth is, as we're learning to drive, there are a number of stages in learning to drive, just like there are a number of stages in learning to walk, right? We, we crawl before we learn to stand up. We learn to stand up before we walk. We walk short distances before long distances and long distances before we run. When we learn to drive a car, there's a big difference between learning to drive in a parking lot and learning to drive on a country road. And there's even another difference in learning to drive in the city where there are far more other drivers making decisions around you that affect you and that you have to watch out for. And something most of us never even get to is, is learning to drive a car as fast as it's capable of going safely and effectively. Keep that in mind. I'm not trying, mm, keep that in mind. <laughs> because when we 
try to do some of those things before we're ready to do them, bad things happen, right? Bad things happen. The thing is, in our, in our walk with God or our ride with God, whatever analogy you'd like to use here, the truth is we are always learning from him. He is always walking alongside us, teaching us how to put one foot in front of the other. We're always student drivers. He's also always pointing out the concerns and the issues. He's always teaching us how to be better, how to understand more, how to navigate life better, how to follow him more closely, to be on the path and on the pace he wants us to be on. Part of being a true disciple, as Peter is going to find out throughout his life, is to recognize that we always need him to be our teacher. We always need to be sitting at the feet of Christ, reading his word, praying, discussing it with one another, letting it challenge us and help us grow. There is always more to learn. There is no point in our faith where we are on our own, where we take off and run all by ourselves, where we take off and drive the car without somebody sitting right next to us telling us what to do. And that's hard for us. That's hard for us because we, we would like to believe we're all completely independent and we can go on about our business. We've, we've figured out the foundation. I get it. I know. All right, I'm off. I got it. I can do the rest of this and I can make this fit. The problem is what we try to do is make Jesus fit into our lives instead of letting him transform us so that we fit into the life he has desired for us and the world he desires to have come to fruition. The second thing that Jesus points out here that Peter has to deal with head on is recognizing that our desires and Peter's desires and fears are not always holy. Can you imagine what Peter did here in verse 22 when he says Peter took him, took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him? That word, right, means to strongly reprimand and scold. He was scolding Jesus, even to the point of restraining him. It's it's like he's listening to Jesus repeat these things because the scripture says he, he started to tell these things, not just once. This is just a constant, became part of his, his message to his disciples. This is coming, right? This is going to happen. It's like Peter just one day just got mad and grabbed Jesus by the arm and said, no, I'm tired of hearing this. This is never gonna happen again. We're not gonna discuss this. I have a different plan. I have a different desire. This is not how this is supposed to work out. Remember that Peter is one of the people of God who have been following the coming Messiah, predicting the coming Messiah, and anticipating what that was gonna look like, their king. For millennia, the people of God have been looking for that. And Peter, along with many others, have assumed that he's going to establish this earthly kingdom where he's going to essentially raise a massive army, drive out all the things, all the people and all the others that are dominating them or lording over them or just making them scared, threatening them, driving them away and taking over, establishing this earthly kingdom. And that's not consistent with what Jesus is describing. Jesus is describing a suffering servant. Jesus is describing someone who's going to have to lay down his life for the sake of his brothers, for the sake 
of others. That is not the king that Peter has anticipated. And honestly, that's not the king that at this point Peter wants. Peter has a very clear idea of how things are supposed to work out. And I can just almost see him, his, his vision of what he thinks is going to happen, fading away in front of him every time Jesus says the opposite. He says, he's, no, this is, this is not how it's going to work. It's going to work like this instead. Peter's afraid, flat out afraid. He's afraid that his vision of what the kingdom of God should be might be lost. It might go away. It might not be anything near what he thought it could be or what he wanted it to be. And he's willing to angrily get in Jesus's face about it. He gets up in his grill and says, no, this is not okay with me. Can I give you some advice here? Um, that didn't work when you were a kid with your parents. <laughs> it doesn't work with your boss at work. Um, and it definitely doesn't work with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Angrily saying, mm, no, that's not the plan, doesn't work. We can pretend it does, but it doesn't. And Jesus is having none of it, right? He turns right to him and says words that none of us would ever want to hear, get behind me, Satan. And says, you are a hindrance. You are a block, a stumbling block. You are tripping others and yourself as they're learning to walk with God. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but humans' concerns. You are so much more focused on what you want to get out of this or what you think it's supposed to be or look like or your own safety or your own security or whatever it is, holding on to that that you are missing what God is calling you to. You're more concerned about the things of the earth than you are about the things of heaven. You're more concerned about the desires of your heart than the desires of Jesus's or the Lord's. See, one of the things that the disciples had to learn really early on that we have to learn and can learn as we stumble and fall and get back up is that we have to have a willingness to let go of the world to run with Jesus. We have to be willing to put down those things that hold us back. And sometimes those things are the desires of our hearts. Sometimes those things are defending or protecting something, a, a, a way of life or a way of doing things sometimes. Sometimes it's, it's, it's really, it's anything that calls us to not think of ourselves first, because that is not human nature. I mean, our human nature is to always watch out for number one. And we do it far more often than we think. In fact, as Peter is discovering, sometimes when we're afraid we're going to lose something, we get angry. We get defensive. When the truth is, what Jesus is calling us to do is be okay with losing it because he's got a place for us to run. He's ready to go. And it's our unwillingness to let go of that that holds us back. And our next, our last set of verses for today highlights that. It's Matthew chapter 26, verse, I'm sorry, chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. 
where Jesus says these words that are repeated often about what it means to be a disciple, likely or unlikely, but to follow him. He says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Let him trade the things of the earth for the mission of God, to run with God. And then he says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? Let's make this really clear. Jesus is saying that there are two different kinds of life here. There is this earthly life, this earthly moment, all the the trappings that come with it, the security that we desire to have, the the lifestyle that we've come to enjoy and appreciate, the goals we have. And yes, those things are things and they, they matter in some way, shape or form to us. But when it comes down to it, we have to be willing to lose those things, this earthly life, to gain the promises of the heavenly one. That's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> Bottom line, that's not an easy thing for us to do because we are so wrapped up and wound up in our physical being and what we see and what we experience. And I'm sure as Peter heard these words, he's saying, look, Jesus is saying, I'm teaching you that I'm about to go off and go through all of this. This is not the kingship you thought. He follows up with, and guess what? You're probably going down that road too. You're going to have to give up all of these things that you're holding on to. You're going to have to be willing to lose everything you've got in this earthly, temporary life to gain the eternal life. You're going to have to be willing to lose it. Not defend it till your dying death. Not hold on to it as though it is the source of life. Because the truth is, that's making it an idol instead of allowing Jesus to be the one we look to for any and all things, the one we worship, to recognize that that is the foundation of what it means to follow God. And what I want to encourage you today to do is this, is to remind yourself that you are not the only one that struggles with these things. That pursuing God, that learning to walk with God means allowing him to take us where he wants us to go. It means recognizing that what I think and what I feel, the human part of me, ain't always right. In fact, it's often wrong. And that sometimes when I feel certain things, when I'm mad as a hornet over something I perceive to be unfair or wrong or not the way I wanted it to be, the truth is that might be not an indication that I need to defend it more, but it might be an indication that if I'm willing to let it go, God will take me where he wants me to be. He doesn't just want us to walk. He wants us to run. And his hope is that we will finish the race strong and that we will join him in heaven because that is the life he has promised to us. That is the lordship that he has brought to this earth. And that is the foundation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And it is my hope and my prayer that we will all have the courage and the humility to set aside ourselves to be what he's calling us to be. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and may he give you peace.
God bless.